welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Today is part seven of our series. We're going to look at the fact that Jesus died. And in John chapter 19, verse 28, it says, Later, knowing that all was now complete, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge and put it in, put the sponge on the stalk and the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was a day of preparation, and the next day was a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. And then they broke those of the other. But when he came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. So they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. There's many elements of the life, the death, the burial and the resurrection that we can extrapolate from Scripture week after week. And that's why we meet week after week, because there's just so much truth. There's such a richness to God's Word that you can't get it all in one Sunday. You can't get it all in a lifetime of Sundays. Such is the enormity, such is the magnitude, such is the weight, such is the power of what took place on this incredible day. But for the sake of time, I want to highlight a few things about the death of Jesus this morning to help us hopefully understand and through our understanding, appreciate at a greater level what Christ did on the cross for us and what his death means and represents to us today. You see, when it came to the death of Jesus, Jesus died in public. In other words, it was a historical event. There were many, many eyewitnesses. In Luke chapter 23, we see that there were great crowds that came to witness the trial and ultimate execution of Christ. We read in Matthew 27 verse 55 that there were many women there. And this act being so public increased the shame of what he was experiencing. Not only was he beaten to a pulp, but he was stripped naked, put on a cross for all to see. Yes, the crucifixion was a death penalty, but it was more than that. It was, it was a mockery. It was people's last chance to throw their insults at criminals, of which Jesus was not, I might add. 
And here is the Son of God on a cross, beaten almost beyond recognition. He's naked and there's hundreds of people there. This wasn't somewhere in the back blocks. This was public for all to see. Increasing the shame. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. Don't you love that? If you're struggling in your faith, you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. He can, he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who can help us when we are feeling weak in our faith. If we fix our eyes on Him. Because of Him it says, He for the joy set before Him. In other words, Jesus was a visionary. He didn't look at the here and now. He had a vision of a better future, a preferred future, a world with hope. And because of that future, He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured it, scorning the shame, embracing the pain and the blame and the shame that was the cross. The public nature of this event also proves that Jesus actually did die. You know, Muslims claim that Jesus didn't die on the cross. That he was taken directly to heaven. And there's a thought that the man that was crucified was thought to be Jesus, although it was somebody else. And this story... And this information came through Muhammad, who lived some 600 years later. And we are led to believe that he had a revelation that Jesus actually never died. Yet there are many eyewitnesses who saw. Jesus' mother, family and friends were there. They witnessed with their own eyes. I don't know about you, I'm going to go for the eyewitness account. We have a number of lawyers in our church and they tell me that Eyewitness account counts for so much. Far more credibility in the account of the eyewitnesses than a man who came on the scene some 600 years later. Who said he had a revelation. The biblical evidence and other historical sources state that Jesus was indeed crucified and he died a horrible death. Jesus died in public. Jesus also died in pain. Jesus endured four trials. In the middle of the night, he was arrested. And the reason it was the middle of the night is the Pharisees and the religious leaders knew they didn't have any claims to arrest him. So they did it in secret. And in the middle of the night, Jesus was arrested and taken to Caiaphas. And then taken to Pilate. And then taken to Herod. And then taken back to Pilate. Four trials in a few hours. And none of them could prove him guilty of anything. Yet he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. As a result, Jesus was flogged, 
which meant they stripped him of his clothing. They whipped across his shoulders, back and legs. And only when the prisoner was near death would they stop flogging. In actual fact, some of the flogging was so severe, many never made it to the crucifixion site. They died there and then on the spot because the beating was so severe. As Pete said last week, Jesus was not impervious to pain. He was flesh and blood. Jesus was mocked by the Roman soldiers because they made light of his claim to be king. The Roman soldiers said, you say you're king. And so they put a robe on him. They put a stick in his hand for a scepter. They made a crown, but not a pleasant crown, a crown of thorns. And they didn't just place it on his head, they they beat it on his head. And then they mocked him and hit him and beat him. When they'd had their fun, they removed the robe from his hand, uh, sorry, the the staff from his hand and, and the robe from his back, which was now pretty much stuck to his body, which further meant tearing of the skin as they removed the robe. And now he had to carry his cross. A 60 kilo piece of wood for a 650 yard journey along the Via Della Rosa to the place of the skull, Golgotha. Jesus was now far too weak and he stumbles and he has to have help. And so the Roman soldiers grab a man by the name of Simon and say, carry the cross for this man. When Jesus gets to the site of the crucifixion, he's placed on the ground and nailed to the cross with massive wrought iron spikes through each wrist. They place his left foot on top of his right foot and drive one of those spikes straight through both feet. He's battered. He's beaten. He's bruised. Jesus is on a cross and he's a bloody mess. The Bible says he's unrecognisable. As you might be, as I might be, having endured such a flogging. But the, t- the pain that Jesus suffered on that day went beyond physical pain. If that was not bad enough, he had to endure emotional, relational pain. As he, for the very first time in all eternity, was separated from the Father. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus is alone. He's by himself. He's not enjoying intimacy and fellowship with the Father. And the reason is because Jesus at that moment became sin. Maybe some of you know that pain when you've been separated from loved ones. 
Maybe by an ocean, maybe by an expanse of land and you don't get to see your loved ones as often. Jesus is alone on the cross. On top of that, it goes dark for three hours and it ain't night time. This is not normal. In the middle of the day, it goes dark for three hours. It's not just a natural darkness, it's a physical darkness where the wrath of God is laid upon His Son. All the punishment that we deserve for our sin was lavished on Christ. Every act, every wrongdoing, every wrong thought, the wrath of God was poured out in abundance on an innocent man, Jesus. He becomes sin and the Father has to turn His face away. When you combine darkness, thirst and isolation, you have hell, my friend. Hell is not a place where you're going to party. Hell is a place of darkness, isolation and thirst. And that's what Jesus experienced on the cross. Jesus went through hell so that we could have heaven. Jesus died in public. Jesus died in pain. And Jesus died on purpose. That's the reason He came. The religious leaders thought they had a massive victory. Satan himself thought, great, I've killed the Son of God, not knowing that that was the plan all along. Jesus, at His worst, is He's in total control. knowing exactly what's about to happen. And he says these words, it is finished. Which simply means the debt has been paid in full. Can you imagine taking out a loan to buy a brand new house? And as tight as it may be, you can scrape together just enough money to pay the mortgage. And you do that for a while. In your own strength, you work hard enough to get the money, but then you hit tough times. And you lose your job. But the housing market's not great and so your home's not worth what it was when you bought. So the debt's even bigger now and you don't have an income. That creates financial tension. It creates stress. In actual fact, one of the leading reasons people divorce is over financial issues. That would cause incredible stress. Can you imagine being in that situation where you've got this home you can't afford, but to sell it, you're going to lose money. 
And I know that's a very real illustration for many people in our society today. And then imagine having to humble yourself and go to the banks and say, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, we we just got no money. We can't pay the loan. And can you imagine that moment? The bank manager looking at you and saying, what do you mean? What do you mean you can't pay the loan? You don't have a loan. Some guy came and paid off your loan in full. Your account with us, it is finished. Oh, come on. It's the greatest thing you're ever going to hear and you're sitting there like stuffed mullets. Come on. Don't get all religious on me. If that was you, if that was your real story, you'd be in the bank going, oh yeah, baby. But in church, we just, we think we're being radical, raising one hand. Come on. People think, oh, you're a Pentecostal church, so that's why you do what you do. No, I'm flipping excited. That's why I do what I do. I don't care what Pentecostals do. I'm flipping excited. This is good news. I'm going to start a petition to change it from Good Friday to Great Friday to flipping awesome Friday. Who's with me? I know this isn't conventional preaching, but I never wanted to be a conventional preacher. I didn't even want to be a preacher. Just find myself here. Just winging it every time. God and I have the biggest laugh every time I get up to speak because this is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a rock star. That didn't happen. But we're going to sing in a little while, yeah. I'm going to get my rock moves on. I'm going to get my moves like Jagger. (laughs) We paid in full. My little illustration is a silly one. Because it doesn't compare to what Jesus did. Because the illustration I used and the debt on that house is too small a debt. And the man coming up and paying that debt is too small a price. What Jesus did was far greater than that. You see, God... Is too holy to ignore our sin. You know that? And I know you know that. Because let's face it, in us we all want justice. How could God send anyone to hell? Sounds noble, it sounds awesome, doesn't it? Firstly, God doesn't send anyone to hell.
God just has created a place for certain people that want a certain thing. He's just created a place where there is no God. A lot of people say, I don't want God. Oh, here, have this place. You can go there. Never cease to amaze me. People talk about going to heaven and yet they ignore God. But secondly, God is a God of justice. Can you imagine a judge having a case where there's a man who's been found guilty of multiple, multiple, multiple acts of murder. And the judge just winks at him, says, you naughty boy, on your way. There'd be outrage. God is too holy to ignore our sin. It must be dealt with. And it was on the cross. He's too holy to ignore sin, but he's too loving to ignore people. And so he devised the greatest plan of all. Redemption through his son on a cross. What an incredible plan. Too too clever for any of us to come up with. No man could fathom such an incredible, brilliant, amazing plan. Took the brilliance of our God to deal with sin and love people. Why did he do it? Because his love knows no limits. People go to great lengths for the people they love, don't they? Saw in the news just recently someone running into a burning house. Unfortunately, they couldn't rescue their loved ones, but they went in there nonetheless. What causes a person to run into a burning building? Love. I'm telling you, if their loved ones went in there, this guy is not going to just run in there. It wasn't a dare. It wasn't a macho act. It was love. What caused Jesus to go through such pain and endure the shame and everything else that was attached to the cross? One word, love. God's love is vast like the ocean. the kind of love that parents have for their kids watching their soccer when they're not that good at it and it's raining and it's this and it's windy and it's cold and we do it why because we like soccer because we like netball because we like this because we like that because we like the other now we just want to see our loved ones maybe there's some dads like me who love their kids enough their little daughters enough to let them paint their fingernails. Love does crazy things. I don't do that for anyone. No one else can paint my nails. And no one else can know about this. (laughs) 
Why? I ask myself, why? <laughs> then I see the face. Giggling, smiling. And I look down and I said, do my toes. <laughs> now we're in trouble because I'm actually enjoying this now. It's just... <laughs> I think it would only be fitting right now for us to have a time of communion. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the cup and said, this is the blood of a new covenant. Drink it, not as a religious act, not because the person next to you is doing it, but do it in remembrance of me. Remember Jesus. He took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. He said, eat it. Not as a religious act, but in remembrance of me. And through these two simple little symbols, we find forgiveness through the blood. And we find healing through the bread. And I would encourage you this morning to eat and drink with us as an act of appreciation, celebration, reflection, and gratitude. And as we partake in the cup and eat and drink in your own time, I want you to enjoy a musical item today brought to you by Karina. Thanks. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.